The Kilkenny Hurling Podcast with Eddie Scally and Robbie Dowling. Brought to you by KCLR and scoreline.ie. Now I am delighted to be joined in studio by the Irish examiner columnist and author Enda McAvoy, one of Kilkenny's finest, it has to be said. I didn't uh, plan that with you, Enda, but you certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was hoping you'd say one of Ireland's finest. Oh, well, of course you are one of Ireland's finest. Well, well, Kilkenny's I, more, more important. Yeah, I chatted to Vincent Hogan last year and he said you're one of Ireland's finest. So uh, I, I, I said I'd leave it to somebody with a greater profile than I'll ever have to, to call you that. But um, certainly one of Kilkenny's finest, certainly one of Ireland's finest. Enda, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, it's brilliant to be joined by you, Enda. Um, Obviously, uh, so much happening in the world of hurling and in the world of GA and sport recently. We're going to delve into all of that. But before that, because you are one of Ireland's finest, uh, I'd really like to find out the beginnings of where it all started for you. Um, How did you get into journalism? Um, always loved sport, as I think you uh, you do, or a lot of people do, when they're young. And you kind of, at that age, you watch you watch all the sports, you know, the breadth of sports. Um, you know, uh, when I was younger, summer was Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, you probably, I'd probably watch a bit of the golf uh, during the summer, uh, the rugby during the spring. Uh, you have to remember back then, in terms of soccer, there was only match of the day uh, on a Saturday night, and uh, Ireland games, and the European Cup, as it was then, and Cup Winners' Cup finals. So you had two live European matches. Uh, the FA Cup was a final was always live. Once or twice, RT had an FA Cup semi-final live, and the Ireland games. But that was it. Uh, I know it sounds unimaginable now. That was it in terms of live soccer back then. Yeah, it was obviously an incredible time. We've heard so many people speak about it. Um, in terms of like, obviously, that's your interest in sport. You came up in the generation with my father and my age. I know you went to school together in St. Cairns College. A lot of people, including my own dad and, and so many others, went into trades, went into different lines of work than what we see today. Yeah. How did you go about getting into journalism? Yeah, um, what happened was, uh, as I was saying, I was always into sport. I liked English uh, composition, as the word was back then. So it was a no-brainer uh, for me to try for journalism. There really wasn't anything else uh, I wanted to do. As I was saying to Martin Bridgman out uh, there, when he interviewed me years ago uh, here, um, I don't think I've ever said it in public before, when I was in my leaving, I did not do them a trick. So uh, had I failed the interview for journalism in Rand Mines, uh, which was the big place at the time, uh, only 25 people uh, in the class every year, had uh, I failed that, I would have not been able to go to college. because I couldn't have gone to UCT or anywhere because I didn't do them a trick. So you could say I was single-minded, you could say I was too late, to bother doing the matric after doing the leaving, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, going into the two-year course in Rand Mines, uh, which later became DIT, uh, Dublin IT, uh, and then the uh, course moved to Bishop Street. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's in Bishop Street. Anyway, it's a four-year journalism course now. Um, and back at the time, uh, obviously, you learned on, you learned to type on monstrous old typewriter 
writers, real huge bangers that you really have to belt with your fingers to get the keys going. Uh, so uh, once we graduated to uh, keyboards and laptops, I didn't know myself. And the great <laughs> thing, and uh, the great thing about that was you actually were told to type you had to practice so um, you ended up with 10 finger typing uh, which is uh, very handy Uh, I also ended up with uh, actually enough we did shorthand great shorthand Uh, so for in the last few years, uh, I'm one of the last, I'd say, remaining guys in the press box who will do shorthand okay. uh, when uh, talking to someone. Uh, with everyone else, it's all tape recording. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, I, I really want to delve into, and I think a lot of people are interested in this, the kind of those years as a journalist. Before we get into that, your time kind of in college and and studying journalism, did you enjoy it? Yeah, um, interesting, uh, because you were sent to meetings of Dublin Corporation, uh, all kinds of, the term is markings, i.e. functions, uh, things you have to cover. Um, there was a lot of press conferences, people like Course uh, Trotola uh, would always be having awards or gigs or launches, so we were sent to cover them. Uh, you kind of, okay, um, meeting I won't say you met people who were uh, important down the line. I've never seen any of them uh, since then. But kind of going to uh, press conferences and launches like that, you know, you learn to talk to people, to interview people, to pass yourself. Uh, you learn who was out there. It was good. It was good experience. Is it a really social job or was it at that time? Yeah, um, we were, uh, okay, we were college students, we had no money, we were always warned, uh, going to launches with wine receptions, don't drink while you're on duty. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can imagine how closely and diligently that one was observed. Now, I, uh, oh yeah, uh, another thing uh, I had to do one time, we all had to do it, now she go to a play, review the play, not very long, uh, maybe 500, 600 words, but hand it in half past nine next morning uh, to, be, uh, to be assessed. Okay. Um, so that is, needless to say, was very, very good training for doing a match report on the final whistle. And just to go forward... Hmm. Um, uh, in my Sunday Tribune uh, incarnation from what 1996 to early 2011 once the GA brought in the back door from 97 onwards you began to have more and more matches on a Saturday and that meant because the Sunday Tribune was obviously a Sunday paper uh, reporting uh, for the next day uh, and depending on uh, what time the match was, you often had to have it, have it very quickly. There was no going home, thinking about it, writing your report and having it in for 11 o'clock. Um, the, you were under pressure because uh, a lot of the time you had to file your 700 word match report 10 minutes after the final whistle. 
Well, um, that is pressure. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, as I always say to people, don't ask me what happened in the second half of the match. <laughs> I wasn't watching. <laughs> I was typing. And what was also a, a what was a bit of a bugbear. Now. I finally got this sorted out in the end, especially when the match was on telly, but doing the scorers and the subs. Yes. Because um, I would have laptop there, match program there, notebook there. I remember uh, just with the subs. Okay, you would be obviously writing down the scores, the scores and the scores in your notebook uh, and the subs. But remember, um, if Robbie Dowling comes on for Enzo McAvoy in the 57th minute, you have to take a note of that. Uh, so you'd follow your match report first, but then you would have to put in the subs and the scores, uh, which was very, very annoying and wearing uh, because... Uh, you know, you would never get, the, or very rarely, never happened to me, you would never get all the scores to add up to 221 or whatever uh, the final tally was. Uh, you'd always be missing a free or, uh, you know, maybe a sub uh, would come on. I remember one year, Colm Callum, and uh, the Galway goalkeeper, uh, scored a point from free. Uh, 07 uh, quarter final against Kilkenny and Crow Park. And I was there looking at my programme afterwards. And they were all, trying to add them all up. And there I was a point short. And finally, one of the Galway radio guys uh, kind of pointed, pointed actually in the programme, yeah. there is your missing point. But um, imagine having to get all that done. We'll say the match report for 10 minutes after the final whistle. I mean, obviously it had to be coherent and reasonably good. You can do a rewrite afterwards. Then you would go back and make the scores and scores add up and the subs. That is pressure. I could imagine so. I could, well, like I say, I can imagine. I, I would never imagine how much pressure that would be, mm. um, especially for the papers that you've written for, obviously, some stellar names there. Uh, one, uh, one thing, and this isn't giving away trade secrets, um, you would, I would anyway, do two alternative intros beforehand, depending on who won. Okay. So you would have intro A, we'll say it's Kilkenny and Galway, yeah. intro A in the event of Kilkenny winning, intro B in the event of Galway winning, that's your first paragraph or two, you know, that gives you something to build on. Yeah. Maybe after that, you would put in a couple of paragraphs of um, just summing up, and then you would get into your, in the first minute, you know, the minute by minute, how the scores came, that kind of thing. So you had some sort of a template in place. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, which you had to have. You would start writing at half time, uh, summing up the first half. Uh, and then with the uh, with the rewrite, uh, if, if it was an early match, you know, if it was, we'll say, a seven o'clock game, uh, or half seven match in, we'll say, Perlis in Sample Stadium, you would have just the one hit. Uh, and there was one year Waterford and Cork monster final and Torres went to extra time uh, I think Dan Shannon came on and scored the winning 2010, goal 2010 yeah 2010 yeah. thanks um, right that was your only hit you were uh, writing as, basically almost as soon as the final whistle went you put in your final sentence and press send uh, so there was no time. You did not have even ten minutes in that instance to uh, rewrite or knock out something or put in something. You know, you were writing and maybe editing and knocking out stuff as you went along. 
It's remarkable, really, and I actually want want to get into that. But I suppose if we were to go chronologically, just to kind of, in regards after college, journalism, I suppose, and maybe the media in general, is known widely for being very difficult to get into, very difficult to thrive in, like you have. Yeah. How did you initially get in? It was, and it was at the time, because this was the second half of the 80s, recession. Uh, the uh, Celtic Tiger had not come along then um, and kind of media media hadn't really opened up uh, we'll say later on uh, it would have more local papers there was an explosion in local radio obviously but not at the time I mean you had pirate stations uh, all over the place which I presume paid very little money and really didn't want kind of news uh, newsrooms anyway that were just playing music so um, what happened Um there was a paper in the early 80s in Kilkenny called the Kilkenny Standard. It was around for a couple of years, died, uh, and it came back in the late 80s for a few years. I did stuff for them, and at the same time, I uh, got my foot in the door in the Sunday Angel doing stuff for them, starting, starting off with GA stuff. Uh, but um, and once my name was known, kind of whispered in the uh, in the Irish intro, uh, in independent newspapers in Middle Abbey Street, they would occasionally give me a ring. I remember covering schoolgirls hockey in Kilkenny College in the early nineties. Now, financially, probably not worth your while, but it was good to do, good experience. You get you got a few bob naturally for it. You probably met people you were expanding your horizons. Uh, you were kind of broadening your palette, palette um, the whole time and uh, gaining experience and you can imagine that sports writing really is kind of like doing news. Hmm. Uh, a lot of it, except it's news in a sporting context. So a lot of sports coverage is not unlike doing a news story. You know, bang, bang, you give them what happened, yeah. where it happened, when it happened. Uh, so I've no idea uh, what that schoolgirls hockey thing consist, uh, consisted of at the end, but it was obviously a... Powerful second half performance gave Kilkenny College uh, the honours in the whatever the tournament was. Yeah. Something like that. You just cut to the chase. And this would, uh, as I said, this was for the Irish intro for a daily paper. Not much space. So when you do it, uh, you get the message through very quickly. It's a really, really interesting stuff. And just in relation to it, I suppose, not to um, pull the curtain back too much, but again, I said it's kind of notorious for maybe being hard to get into. It also, there's an element of infamy around uh, journalism and media in terms of the workload that goes into it, coupled with the fact that maybe from a financial perspective, as you mentioned, it's not always the most rewarding of jobs comparatively. Did you ever consider that at the start during your career at any stage at all? Uh, No, it was what I wanted to do. And I think 
if you're looking enough to get to a certain level, yeah. uh, I mean, I wasn't buying cars or houses on my wages and journalism, but if you can get to a certain level, uh, you will, in theory, be okay. But you have to remember this, that unless you're on a contract, and I was not on a contract for years, and so many people in journalism aren't or weren't, you know, you never know uh, when the day will come, for whatever reason, or maybe for no reason at all, they will say, right, there's the drawer. Or maybe a new editor or a sports editor will come in and your face won't fit, or they naturally will want to bring their own people with them. So for a lot of people uh, in journalism, there was no, uh, and even less so now, security of tenure. It's really it's really interesting. Um you're obviously good at what you do, not just good, but very good. Was there a point where you started to realise you were really good at it? Was it right at the start? Was it during it? Uh, no, I th- look, it's not that. I think it's... You're only as good as your last uh, match report okay. or your last feature or whatever. Okay, maybe when you're well-established, you can coast for a bit. Inevitably, you lose the hunger... Um, but there was uh, one very, very hairy day in Perlis. I was right, uh, I had a computer problem. I nearly missed the deadline. Now, it was an afternoon game. Can you clear the 04 replay on a Saturday? Remember the first day? It was a draw. I think Tommy Welsh was sent off the first day. Yeah, I in, remember. Uh, in Crow Park. Replay was... Uh, that was the day, the first day. Clear has a seventh defender, Alan Markham, and Kenny did not know what to do. Uh, so Kenny worked it out the second day. But that was, we'll say, at three o'clock. Start. The first edition of the Tribune was going out, we'll say, five o'clock. And I was very, very on... On the, I was uh, on the deadline or over the deadline, and that wouldn't matter. We'll say, had it been a seven o'clock game, because had I missed the deadline for a seven o'clock game, uh, the page was still there, would still have been there from the first edition, i.e., whatever page they had waiting for me for the later edition, they would have had something on it. For the from the first edition, but this was the first edition. It would have gone out with a blank page. Uh, had I missed the deadline, right? Okay. Or a blank half page, which would have been mortifying, and they would probably have been within their rights. You missed the deadline. Bang. Go. Go away. Wow. Yeah, no, they probably wouldn't have. Yeah, I know, yeah. But it would have been embarrassing for me, embarrassing for them. Uh, I know that the front page, uh, they had a photo, an action photo in colour, just uh, over the masthead. And, you know, here are a few of the things inside. So a, ma- uh, a photo of a clear guy and a Kenny guy taken in the first few minutes, sent back to Dublin. Uh, so imagine the reader seeing that on the front page. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward my match report. Oh, there is no match report. There, and there is no match report. Yeah, so someone bailed me out was able to copy over and banged it. Banged okay. it through. But, oh, I had nightmares about that day for years afterwards. And this was the early days of 
you were filing, it was pre-Wi-Fi, okay? Mm. So you were filing via a phone line. So, so you had a modem, and you plugged everything into your mobile phone, and basically you were in the lap of the gods. Sometimes it went, and sometimes it got stuck. Uh, once or twice, I had match reports get stuck, get stuck, but sent them again, and the first one would eventually go through. Uh, but um, that was always nervy stuff, uh, whereas obviously now uh, you have Wi-Fi and you're, you're away in the hack. You just press send. Yeah. There is no elaborate process looking at it, always it through. You're not waiting, you can see it go. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating that that thing we were chatting when when we met there downstairs uh, about deadlines. Um, bit different with radio because you can obviously maybe think on the fly a lot more. Pay, newspapers I'm obviously taking an ad break. Exactly, you can just you can. There's something there always that will back you up, and however bad it gets, you'll always have some sort of audio to to make sure that you're okay. Obviously, completely different as you were alluding to there with newspapers. That pressure of constantly hitting deadlines, of constantly having to have something there, not just something, but something of real substantial quality. Does that ever go away? Um, well, look, put it this way: if you're doing stuff during the week for the weekend, uh, obviously, while you're not under immediate pressure, um, you file, when I was with the Tribune, I would file kind of, for Sunday, I would file just features and whatnot, not matches, obviously. I would file Friday morning, okay? Okay. And they, they had it there, there was plenty of time, they would ring me back to query anything. Uh, the which pro quo being given that you had the whole week to plan it and do it and you were writing for uh, a quality Sunday broadsheet it had to be good right mm. and you couldn't be doing it in the last minute you had to plan it out I mean not on paper but just in your head the way I always did it I still do I wrote in stages and if I were interviewing someone I would put in the quotes first then uh, then build the rest of it, the story or the interview around it, okay? And um, you can't you can't go overboard with quotes either. You would put the uh, very good stuff in direct quotes, the not quite as important stuff you would put in indirect speech. You know, he says, he thinks, that, that kind of thing. And uh, really meaty stuff, yeah, uh, because nothing has the impact as a good direct quote. But as I say, you had the week to do it, so it had to be good. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no kind of firing stuff up against a wall at the last minute. I mean, that wasn't on. You would be letting yourself down. You'd be letting the reader down. Yeah. I want to get on to modern journalism and I think it links back to that. But before I do, just to continue your journey, obviously um, in national newspapers throughout your career, when did that begin? Yeah, as I said, uh, early 90s, uh, I got a couple of people, got my foot in the drawer with Sunday Angel, did one or two Kakanya Harding pieces. Actually, here's an interesting one. Um, the first person, I think it was the Sunday morning of a National League quarterfinal uh, involving Kakanya in. Uh, 1990 went up to Nolan Park after training got hold of Richie Power Senior I don't think the poor man has ever done an interview before he was very helpful very welcoming he didn't know me from Adam did a piece uh, maybe 800 words that went in the day of that National League quarterfinal so that is where it began 
Okay, and um, obviously then as the years go on... Um, yeah, that, that kind of snowballs. Uh, the Sundanjo had me doing more and more stuff. And occasionally they might have me doing a, a soccer piece or a racing piece. And then what happened was in the summer of 1996... Um, there was a great upheaval. Um, Ireland on Sunday began life as the title, a kind of dedicated sports newspaper. So there were sports writers moving everywhere. And between the jinx and the reels, uh, I uh, got the, finally got my first proper job. The Sunday Tribune asked me to be their hurling correspondent. And it was fantastic because it was the summer of Wexford. Liam Griffin, Riverdance. And I knew a lot of them, including Griffin, for a few years. They could not have been more helpful or welcoming. Uh, and, you know, this was all new to them. And instead of getting paranoid and not saying anything, they they lived in the moment. Could not have been more helpful. Now, a lot of these guys, George O'Connor, Tom Dempsey, were now in their parties. They'd been through the bad days. They wanted to talk. And here's something. Um, and it was par for the course at the time. Couldn't happen now. Uh, Wexford had their media thing about 10 days before the All-Ireland final. And you can run out on the pitch and talk to anyone. They were all there and they all talked. Okay. I went out to George and Connor and said, George, and my voice on the trimming. Listen, like to catch you for a piece from the day of the Orange final. Uh, but not, not here, not now. We have to do it properly. And he said, yeah, fine. Call down to me next Monday afternoon. So the Monday uh, afternoon before the Orange final, I'm drinking tea. Yeah, I'm about... I spent about three hours with George O'Connor, a man who had played in God knows how many league, National League finals, Leinster finals, and he lost them all. Well, okay, he drew two National League finals, but one third lost the, lost the third one. Um, and Craig Eye, fascinating story. He gave me his heart and soul. And I said, George, fantastic. Thanks so much. I said one more thing. Because uh, I said to him, all this is going away. Uh, what are you going to be doing for the week? Oh, he said, I'll be drawing straw out on the south slob. Uh, I love it out there. Uh, birds everywhere. I said, what kind of birds? And he said, herons and... Oh, I can't remember. Uh, so he said, okay. I said, right. I want to ring you <clears throat> before I file on Friday just to tell me uh, confirm what you've been doing during the week and that will be my opening paragraph so he said right ring me midday Friday I ring him midday Friday George how was your week how are things all for them so I said just tell me again what you were doing he said I was out on the south slope drawing straw and all these birds were everywhere and my opening line I should have looked this up before I came out uh, all week he's been out on the short slope Full stop. Drawing straw. Full stop. Uh, with the something and the something and the big blue herons. Full stop. With his dreams. Full stop. The dreams of George O'Connor. That was my uh, 
in show, I was very, very happy with it. The Sunday Tribune were very happy with it. Dave Hannigan, the sports editor, says on Sunday morning he read it all over again in bed, having read it maybe twice on the Friday. And, of course, Wexford won. Uh, to put the uh, seal on it. But you can imagine that now. Uh, three hours with a guy, uh, Monday before an Ireland final, and then five minutes on the phone the Friday before an Ireland final. No, it, it just doesn't happen now, does just, it? No, it will never happen again. So, from that point of view, I was blessed to be writing about GAA when I was writing, because you had the access to the players. That brings me on to my next point really nicely. Um... You're a brilliant writer, but as you said, you, you were writing at a great time. Is it fair to say that that was able to enhance your work? Oh, without a doubt, because you were Griffin only for that summer. You was Wexford for a couple of years later. You was Claire uh, from 95 onwards. You were Gerlong Nan, who was just incredible, just fantastic copy. Everything Long Nan did and said was, you know, <laughs> it practically wrote itself. Still does. Still does, yeah. Um, oh, I mean, it was San for the GA media when you were on stepped down. Yes. Yeah, he went, and he, look, he went to the right time, I think, for everyone. He was burnt out. He's more than done enough. We, you know, probably might have got a bit like Mourinho out, outstanding as welcome. Yeah. You don't want that either. Hmm. Was he the most interesting person you wrote about? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, he was great from that point of view. He would say anything. I think half of it he believed, half of it he probably didn't believe, or only half <laughs> believed, but just wanted to stir it anyway. Was he the first box office GA manager, do you think? Um, well, probably Kevin Heffernan earlier than that, but in terms of more modern times, oh yeah, look, without, without a doubt. And to be fair to him part of it was to try and take the pressure off the players but he certainly overdid it in 1998 you know when everything happened uh, the monster fight against Waterford the thing against Offaly the three priests Colin Lynch being suspended all of that and that, that turned into a circus I don't think he would do it again and it certainly got to some it certainly got to some of the uh, clear players but at the same time you have to say if Jimmy Cooney had not blown the whistle three or four minutes early Claire would have hung on won that semi-final probably beaten Kilkenny in the 1980 final therefore you know, everything Lockland did had done was right. It was all part of his master plan. He was a genius. Blah, blah, blah. Does anybody else bring to mind besides Lachnan in terms of a standout to, to write about? Uh, I enjoyed uh, Jimmy Barry Murphy. Always very friendly. Always very helpful. Now, uh, for... Uh, for the brilliant player uh, he was very very low key he's incredibly modest Jimmy as a young man with all his all Ireland medals including football uh, so good and so, so naturally fluent uh, I would love to have seen Jimmy Barry Murphy play soccer uh, I never saw it I'm sure he would have been fantastic you know just one of these naturally talented athletes who are good at everything yeah um, one of the GA's greatest ever, Jimmy Barry Murphy? Oh, yeah, I mean, let's face it, one of Oregon medals is player and manager. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can't argue with that. No, it is, it is incredible that very few have done that. Um, Brian Cody, I, I must ask about Brian Cody, obviously. Uh, what, what was he like? Um, the, uh, put it this way, there was a few years, uh, once Kenny began to keep, keep their heads down after all one, um, there was a few years that the media, Kilkenny Press Nights, all our press nights were a joke uh, because no one would talk. Uh, and there were there were fiascos for a couple of years. And then what happened? Oh, about 07, Glon Bia uh, kind of took a hand and helped organise them. And that was fine because for a number of years, well, all the way, ever since then, actually, they would play out three or four players, and you had uh, players who had never been interviewed in public before, except after matches, giving post-match quotes. You now had them be interviewed before games, and guess what? They were very, very good talkers, and they appeared to enjoy it. Uh, only Larkin... Uh, was brought out for a couple of old Ireland's, maybe all seven, and Owen was really, really good. And because you know, because Owen is quite guy, and uh, very low key, uh, we probably assumed he wouldn't be much of a talker. He was really good, really smart, and they were the guys they brought out to talk were all like that. And, I mean, you can see why that Kilkenny team was so successful. They were. Um, behind it all, uh, very smart guys, very ambitious. They knew what what had to be done to win all Ireland's, and uh, I think certainly a credit to uh, Brian Cody. And people have never given him enough credit for this. He had guys like Jerry Ling, Peter Barry, Brian Hogan. Now, not the most fantastic horrors in the world, but really bright guys, motivated, enterprising, good jobs, ambitious leaders. And they made themselves better and they helped bring the teams with them. Okay. Can you draw parallels between this Limerick team and that Kilkenny team off the pitch? A lot of people talk about parallels on the pitch. Yeah, um, I'm, look, I don't know the Limerick guys off the pitch. Uh, or I'm not sure what they even do for a living. Uh, well, most of them seem to be students, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Jerry Kling, uh, former rep, uh, Brian uh, Hogan was the... Uh, the same uh, for many years. Uh, Peter Barry, financial controller. You know all these guys with uh, important, uh, serious jobs. You know the kind of leaders you need uh, on your team. Okay, that's a really interesting point. That I don't think a lot of people have picked up on. Um, and I could talk to you about anything. I want to get up to where you are now, the Irish Examiner. How did that start and how's it going, I suppose? Yeah, uh, what happened was uh, the Sunday Tribune finally uh, went to the wall in early 2011. Uh, the Examiner offered... Now, there were no no jobs. There are really no jobs out there in print media, in print journalism anymore, and have not been for a long time, okay? Uh, with the Sunday Tribune, I had a contract. So it was it was a job, 
basically a swearing core. Uh, with the uh, with the examiner, I'm just a contributor. Most people writing for most newspapers now, uh, national papers, are contributors rather than staff, naturally. Hmm. Uh, newspapers have been cutting back for years. The pandemic gave them even more excuse to cut back. And uh, I think a lot of guys um, went off the radar, local journalists, during the pandemic and will never have not been writing since and will uh, never write again. And a lot of the guys I would have worked with who would have been in the press box 15 years ago uh, jumped the fence into PR or got out of journalism uh, in one shape or form. Um, a couple of guys work for the press office in the GAA. Uh, a couple of guys are in other PR. Jackie Carl works for the Ladies Gay Football Association. Um, one of them went off to ma- manage his family post office. Um, and there's a couple more still hanging in there. Uh, a couple took a package uh, from their employer. And so, uh, preempting a question, I know you were going to ask me. Um, in the last few years, people have said to me, oh, I've a niece or a nephew uh, thinking of, uh, is interested in journalism. Any advice for them? And I say, yeah, don't. <laughs> you were right. I was going to ask you. That's a real journalist. Um, yeah, well, look, uh, let's face it. Casey Orr will always need you to do their sport, okay? Oh, thanks very much, Enda. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. I think it's a compliment. Um, the... Uh, Journalism. I suppose we'll get on to because I want to get on to all the topical debates around hurling. Um, but but journalism itself. I asked Vincent Hogan this. He referenced you when he talked about quality journalists um, in the past. And he said that he thinks journalism can be in a good place, but maybe currently isn't. W- where is journalism? Enda? Yeah, um, I am less upbeat than Vincent. Uh, I'm not sure how long physical newspapers will survive um, um, you know, 20 years time will they exist anymore physically uh, will everything be only on your phone um, and in that, uh, if that's going to be the new kind of regime will there be um Will there be room for quality sports writing anymore? Will the financial overlords just decide, no, cost too much or no one's interested? And the other problem, of course, being uh, so much out there is for free. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I you often see pe- people complaining about, oh, I can't read that, it's behind a paywall. Mm. Well, how about paying for it? Good journalism costs money. It shouldn't be free. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I 100% uh, stand by, by that. Um, uh, are journalists, not killing journalism, but, but hurting journaliz- journalism from the inside... Or is society hurting journalism in terms of how they source their news? I mean, to get your news off social media with respect to people that do it, it is beyond farcical. Oh, look, uh, oh, look, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
to be fair, I would suggest that actual physical physical newspapers don't do that. Uh, but certainly news news people out there on social media. Oh yeah, I mean uh, there is a a word for it, churnalism. That they're just churning mm. over and everything gets churned and rechurned and blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but look, unfortunately. With social media, inevitably, that comes with the territory. There is no way around it, I don't think. I mean, you can't stop people doing that. Yeah. Even though it's nonsense. Oh, it's absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely rubbish, I have to say. Um, I, I just want to ask you about young and upcoming journalists. Uh, I'm 24, so I'm not young and I'm not upcoming, so I'm not asking about myself. Uh, journalists, in general, coming true... Are they good? Are they interested? Are they going into it for the right reasons? Where will journalism be with these people leading it in the in the decades to come? Yeah, and um, look, I've no idea how many younger people are still getting in to journalism or why they want to get in. Um, I what I've been saying is for quite a while, as regards sports writing anyway, which is really all I can talk about, I reckon very shortly you will see nobody or very few people over the age of 50 in sports writing in that just the deadlines the 24-7 the pressure on them you know always having to tweet always having to break stories uh, you're you know you're never off duty Uh, back in the day you know um we say when I began in the Sunday Tribune um before the back door, and uh, it was just match- matches every Sunday. That was it. <laughs> what, you did, what you did, or what I did during the rest of the week, they didn't care mm. as long as uh, the Tribune, as long as I filed on a Friday. But now you can imagine uh, with papers, they have their websites, so you are all, and obviously they're always looking for new material, so you're uh, always under pressure. You're always on the job. Mm, I want to pick up on that. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, and that's why I reckon people, more and more people, will be burnt out younger and will get out. Yeah, I, I do want to really pick up on that. I suppose I never chat about my own personal situation because you have to be professional, as you know, Enda. Yeah. But just for myself, I suppose, as I said, I'm 24. Uh, I absolutely love sport like yourself. I, I have grown to love uh, coverage of sport and I absolutely uh, love what I do. I, I find it incredibly demanding. I find it uh, to be seven days a week, 24-7, as you said. And not that you're always working 24-7, but your brain is always switched on 24-7 and that can be quite tiring and uh, it can have impacts on kind of your life outside of work. Um, can oh, can yeah. you understand? All, the, all those girls you let down every yeah. week. You just there's not a it. single girl I've let. Down. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that. I can tell you that. Um, but ju- it does. It does have an impact. There's no doubt about it. You're always on. It feels like. Do you feel like that will turn people off? Absolutely, yeah. And as I said, the guys who are and girls who are already in there. Um, I imagine. Well. It's a big turn off. That's why they're getting out. Mm. So many of them have gone out. And I think that will be... Uh, okay, journalism will probably always have a certain allure, but maybe people who get into it for whether the right reasons or the wrong reasons will say fairly quickly, oh, this isn't for me, or I can't hack this. This is more than I bargained for. Yeah. 
Uh, I could chat to you about this all day. I just want to ask one more question. I'm a young person. I see young people going into journalism. Some of them go in with absolutely the, the most the best intentions, and they go forward and and they absolutely do brilliantly in their careers. Other people I find and I'm not going to name anybody and certainly nobody in here, uh, go in for the wrong reasons, maybe a little bit vain, maybe looking to source a platform for themselves and, and to nearly do it for, for fame rather than for the work itself. Have you found that? No, I haven't, but I mean, I know there are influencers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a word. What a word, yeah. Um, I'm not going to... Obviously, I don't know too many influencers. Uh, I certainly wouldn't dream of tarring everybody with the same brush, mm. but I think certainly from what I see, um, I won't say that there are some influencers from what I see want the profile without having to do the hard work. Yes. But want to be in the media without being journalists. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that was what I was trying to get at. Um, Just very finally on this quality journalism is it, has it deteriorated in the years uh, no I don't think so but probably the, the volume of it has and um, here's, the, here's the other thing you will be able to answer this how many people do you know under the age of 30 or your generation who buy a newspaper or read a newspaper every day or even every week yeah nobody I used to I used to buy as many as I could oh, yeah, yeah, um, course, yeah. and I used to love reading them I've stopped yeah. I have to say I have to yeah, admit to yeah, that yeah. and I just source my news uh, in, in you know reputable places well, but, yeah, but yeah, online yeah, not, not yeah. yeah. Um, no it's a really interesting conversation I've said that about 10 times but anyway it certainly is um, to matters of the moment and to things and a subject that's very important to people and that people will um, want to hear your opinion on is the Kilkenny senior hurling team first and foremost this year they're taking on Offaly uh, this Sunday in the Allianz National Hurling League but uh, that game maybe not of the most importance when you consider the bigger picture which is of course Kilkenny trying to end a nine year wait for an All-Ireland title where are we with that wait do you think we're getting closer to towards winning the All-Ireland uh, no Straight no, out. Uh, not getting any closer, not getting any further away, just stasis. Um, I will give an example uh, from before your time. Uh, after Kilkenny won in 82 or 18, uh, sorry, 82 and 83, the mid-80s then, the following year, nothing was happening. And nothing happened until 1988. Brilliant minor team. DJ, Carey, Pat O'Neill, Charlie Carter, Adrian Ronan, who was the star at that time. Uh, really good team. They won in All-Ireland. They went on two years later to win All-Ireland under 21. Uh, it still took two years after that for Kilkenny to win senior. So, nothing, because nothing was happening after 82, 83, nothing could have happened until a very good young team, that 88 minor team, came along uh, and eventually grew up and won in 1992 senior and broke a nine-year wait. Um, what was needed, what is needed, and um, was that under-20 under twenty team for a couple of years ago, or a cohort like them, to win an underage All-Ireland and kick on en masse to come through as a group? That hasn't happened yet, OK? Obviously, it was a... Kenny have been picking up the last few years, been picking up some very good young players 
one causing obviously Adrian Mullen. Lots of they need more of them. Uh, you know, the conveyor belt stopped. Uh, and it hasn't got started again to a, to a sufficient degree. So look, uh, we all know this. There aren't enough good young players out there at the moment who will come in and make a difference. Um, so... Uh, can any new balls, um, and they might reach an All Ireland final again this year. They're not going to win it if they're playing Limerick. If uh, somebody takes out Limerick along the way, then yes, Kilkenny have as good a chance as anybody this year. I think the real issue is when this Limerick team reach the end of their. Uh, Lifespan, will Kilkenny be there to pick up the pieces? I'm not sure. I think, and you can accuse me of being unnecessarily gloomy about this, uh, I think uh, Kilkenny may well not win in Ireland in the rest of the decade. Wow. That would be a historically long period of time. I mean, that would then be 15 years and counting. Now, look, Maybe in three years' time, they could have turned it around and have uh, a very good young emerging team. Okay? But uh, at the moment, you have to say, there's nothing uh, to signal uh, that they're going to get ahead of the pack. You described it as the conveyor belt of players coming through or the lack of at the moment. Why did that conveyor belt stop? Well, a couple of things. One, these things are circular and cyclical. During the noughties, you know, Kenny were producing good young hurlers, two or three of them every year. I mean, that's unsustainable. Yeah. Couldn't keep going. And um, uh, other thing would be, and I'm not sure if you can uh, go into granular detail about this. Obviously, Kenny fell asleep on the job. Uh, the the county board yeah. uh, going back for a number of years now. Okay, again, you can't keep it going, but clearly they thought that things are going great. There will always be horrors in Kilkenny uh, instead of, and this is why Michael Fennelly, his appointment is so important that they are finally getting stuck into it. They're no longer taking things for granted, but that will take five years or more to manifest itself yeah I want, I want to get on to Michael Fenley but do you think that attitude is instilled in Kilkenny people that ah, it'll be grand Kilkenny will always have hurlers Kilkenny will always be at the top table and that we need to change that attitude yeah um, to be fair I don't think anyone out there or very few people out there have any uh, kind of illusions about where Kilkenny are at, at the moment but uh, to put this another way the coaching structures in Kilkenny probably for the past 10 years or near enough the underage coaching structures have not been good enough clearly uh, and uh, I wrote this in the yearbook I hope Tom Phelan won't be embarrassed uh, if I say it on air, Tom Phelan, 
very, very good season last year for Kilkenny, but he was 27 and a half. That should not be happening. That a guy of 27 and a half, no matter his background or his circumstances, it should not be taking that long for him to be making an impression. And I mean, it's great credit to Derek Ling and his management team that they identified Tom Phelan and uh, turned him into a man capable of scoring three points in the All-Ireland final. Yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating conversation. Um, I, 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 I don't know where it starts and where it ends, but certainly one point in the middle is Michael Fenley. We had him on the Kilkenny Hurling podcast recently, um, chatting about his new role as performance lead with Kilkenny GA. Basically, the way I interpreted it anyway, and I'm not sure if you agree, and that is that he is now accountable and the overhead for the underage structures in Kilkenny. You mentioned the importance of bringing him in. Do you think it's a forward step? Oh, without a doubt, and badly needed. But it should, uh, you know, to stay ahead in the pack, you have to be reinventing before the pack are reinventing. Uh, I mean, this should have been happening five years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, tell me, does he concede that thing says... Yeah, he said, he said he was probably... Um I, d- I don't think he he, he he didn't go in too far which I you wouldn't expect sure. him to yeah. but he did say we're not winning all Irons at underage level that's worrying we're not developing players at underage level that's worrying we're behind the pack when it comes to our more modern approach to things that's worrying and he actually used the words worrying and concerned in fairness mm-hmm. to him and I thought he was quite direct in his language some people weren't best pleased with the line of questioning which I understand some people weren't best pleased with the answers which I also understand but I thought it was a, a particularly fair interview um, what does he have to do does he have to hit the ground running very, very fast and get things moving quickly? Does he have to give himself a bit of time to have an oversight of things and to try and bring players through? What are the big things that Michael Fenley has to get right? Uh, look, you're asking the wrong person, I think, Matt, because uh, you really need uh, somebody who's involved on the coaching side okay. somewhere to go into the nuts and bolts uh, of how these things work. But one thing I will say, I've been saying this again for years, can uh, a GA shut up a chief executive? Interesting. They should have a financial controller, or may, or maybe a chief executive who is a financial controller, or a financial controller who is a also a sponsorship manager. Wexford have had a, a sponsorship manager for years, and most county boards have a a fully employed, or you know, a. A financial, uh, either a financial guy or a CEO in actual paid jobs. I mean, this is the 21st century. Kilkenny should have had, and Kilkenny County Board should have been run by a CEO, from the, a chief executive, for the last number of years. I mean, uh, it's big business. Uh, are there any other big, put it this way, Kilkenny uh, GA taking everything into account is, you would have to say, uh, in terms of turnover, money coming in, people who work, whether paid or otherwise, is Kenny GAA is one of the biggest enterprises in the county. Looking at it in that way, there's no argument about it. It should have a chief executive. 
do you think they obviously haven't got that at the moment do you think I'm not sure how familiar you are I'm sure you're very familiar with Phil Hogan and his role and the new plan that's been put in place do you think that's a step forward yeah without a doubt and one has to give uh, on the other hand the county board credit for yeah. this for getting their act together getting somebody like that in and getting with the programme yeah okay um, no it's really interesting just with the senior team this year just a, a final point on this um do we need to, you would expect Kilkenny will come out with Leinster, whether they lose a Leinster final or, or, you know, whether they finish third, that would be the worst possible scenario I would have thought, but you can't see them finishing fourth, fifth or sixth. Once they come out of Leinster, do we need to be keeping an eye on Munster and hoping to God that somebody's able to take Limerick out? Yeah, I, I think that is the reasonable and rational course of action. Yeah, yeah. yeah no question there. And uh, look, on a given day, uh, Kilkenny versus any other team in Munster would be... Uh, no, toss of a coin. Yeah, certainly would. And we've seen Kilkenny come out on top, of course, in all yeah. in semi-finals in recent yeah. years against Clare. Um, just generally, if we move away from Kilkenny for the moment and uh, the current state of hurling in comparison to maybe, you know, when you were writing uh, years and years ago, that great Kilkenny team of the 2000s, do you think it's in a good place overall? I'm not mad about it. I've been banging on about this for years. There are too many scores in matches. Matches have become too high scoring. Points have become cheapened. Yeah. Um, I think, um, okay, Limerick are obviously brilliant. Uh, 30 points in all Ireland final. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. They're that good. But um, there was, a couple of years ago, they beat Clare in the Munster Championship about three years ago. Top of my head, it was something like 36 points. Limerick I remember it, yeah. To yeah, yeah. 123 Clare. Yeah. Now, if you lose a match by 10 points and you still hit 123 there is something wrong there mm. and obviously the ball travels too far yeah. and uh, I that would be uh, something I would like to see uh, trials uh, a ball that travels not necessarily he- a heavier ball but a ball that travels uh, less far uh, because you know all these points coming from the half back line uh, or a goalkeeper scoring freeze not for me a lot of people will phrase watching inter-county football over the last I mean you could say 20 years now realistically but definitely 10 to 15 years as, as a tough watch I suppose to put it in simple terms do you think Hurling's getting to that stage or are we a bit off it yet? Oh no no Hurling uh, isn't there I think Hurling's problem uh, it's, is the opposite Oh uh, Yeah Football is hard to watch because it's so cramped Hurling is too open Okay you know, I score a point you score a point I score a point Basketball. Yeah. It almost seems a bit easy at times, doesn't it? It seems too easy. Uh, midfield being bypassed. Uh, you know, just uh, wing backs, get the ball, bang, over the bar. Hmm. It's, no. it's, it's really interesting just to go back to Kilkenny for a second uh, I, I forgot to ask this question um, and I have to say you teed it up for me uh, before I say it's my own question uh, you wanted to talk about uh, Kilkenny's population and how that might have an impact on them going forward yeah um, and this would be I think a qualm uh, or something to at least be aware of uh, down the line and um, if the GAA is getting ever more professional if the games are getting ever more professional and if money is making more of, and more of a difference just the one or two percent and I think there's no question about that yep. um, 
will counties with greater numbers, uh, will it suit them? Will the greater numbers win out in the end? Uh, because if they do, uh, that's bad news for Kilkenny, being a small county, 90,000 people or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's not... Uh, it's not all that long since Offaly won All-Ireland hurling and football titles in successive years. That's unimaginable now. I mean, I don't think Offaly will ever win another All-Ireland hurling title, certainly not any time soon. They will certainly never win an All-Ireland football title, because how can a population like that compete with Dublin? Do you think that's the, the maybe not if not the sole reason, the primary reason why we have seen counties like Offaly and other counties kind of drop off through the years? Well, look, it's always been a numbers thing, but back in the days when it wasn't quite so professional, um, and let's face it, Dublin's money, their resources, their population give them advantages that counties like Offaly don't have and can't have. So I think that is worrying more so in football uh, for the long term. You're going to have Dublin. You will obviously always have Kerry, who are very well resourced anyway. And maybe one or two of the northern teams and Galway. Will anyone come out of left field? It's hard to imagine. Yeah, I can't see it personally anyway. Um just the final word on the promotion of hurling. This conversation has dictated a lot of the last two weeks in terms of what people are talking about. Obviously, you would have been uh, kind of listening intently as well. Uh, promotion of hurling outside the stronghold counties. Where do you stand on that? Um, I've always said uh, it's up to the counties themselves. Okay. And north of the jo- uh, the Dublin Galway line, how many county boards actually care about hurling? I would submit very, very few. Uh, and certainly not to the extent that they will, uh, I won't say even given precedence over football because of course they won't, but that they will uh, fund it adequately. Uh, hurling is irrelevant in too many counties because that's what those counties want or that's what those county boards want they don't care about hurling uh, so all this thing about oh we must grow hurling if, if the county board in a county isn't interested in hurling hurling won't grow there is no point do you think then there needs to be an onus from centrally whether it be the GA or even big hurling counties to try and improve it or, or you don't see it like that no? well it's not up to big hurling counties to, uh, to look after anyone else for the good of the game though Enda, no? in terms of trying to grow it and trying to make sure it's healthy in the years to come well yeah ok that, that sounds fine in theory but practically in practical terms how do you use and what's the point in practical terms if the relevant county board in the other county isn't interested then what can you do uh, so it's all uh, it's all very well and quite reasonable to say Croke Park should do this that and the other and of course there should be a full time director of coaching director of hurling goes without saying um, but in the final analysis, to me, it's always been the counties themselves must want it, and too many counties don't. Okay, 
Okay, it definitely has been a conversation of interest. Um, and this has gone over an hour, a lot longer than I thought it would, but I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure there is plenty that you can uh, chop. And there won't be any chop because <laughs> it'll be going up and if people aren't interested, they certainly will be once they listen. Not because of me, of course, but because of the answers. Um, I want to end on a really good note uh, for you personally. Uh, the 2021 and 2022 uh, GA McNamee Awards came out, uh, I'm not going to say recently, it was a fair few October. months ago now yeah, yeah October and um, you were in it you're inducted into the GA Hall of Fame congratulations first of all I can't think of anybody more deserving oh, of it oh God. must have been a great honour um, uh, put it this way I, I would not have kind of died screaming if I, <laughs> if I hadn't gone it, I it uh, look these things they're not they're nice when they happen yeah. it would be silly to present otherwise and um, it was a total shock to me. Uh, I will admit this much. I was glad it happened while, I, while I'm still writing rather than, you know, after being retired okay. or being dead. And they say, oh, we'll have to give him one now because he's dead or gone or whatever. No, you still it, take it. Yeah. It, it, no, it was nice that it happened. It was nice it happened when it did. Obviously, you can't take them too seriously. Uh, I wouldn't have felt my career had been a waste of time if they'd never given me one. In fact, it, had I never got one or had they not given it to me, it would never have occurred to me one way or the other. But it was still nice to get it. Uh, but I will say this, uh, I couldn't have got it without hundreds hundreds and hundreds of people out there who over the years have been very good to me who kind of helped out answered phones uh, responded to calls and uh, you know gave me their time when they didn't have to uh, and you certainly in the GA especially in Hurry you meet a better class of person no question about that well I don't think we can end on a better note uh, in the McAvoy it was a pleasure and an honour uh, thanks for joining me thanks, and uh, the best luck with everything thank you the Kilkenny Hurling Podcast with Eddie Scally and Robbie Dowling. Brought to you by KCLOR and Scoreline.ie.